for each and every one of you and everybody that's important to you. Everyone. That's why we can trust him. He's just good. So praise him for the things that you know about and praise him for all the things that you'll never know. Amen. Because all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so the goodness of God. I'll sing a little louder. I will sing of the goodness of God. And I will sing of the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap and a shout of praise. He's a good, good God. He's a good God. Yes. Turn around, say hello, shake a hand. Tell them how good God's been good in your life. Welcome. Welcome to Christian Fellowship Church. CF Paris. We're glad you're here this morning. If this is your uh, first time, welcome. If it's your second, third, or hundredth time, welcome. As a, if you are a guest with us this morning, I just want to take a moment to kind of point you in the right direction. If you're curious about more um, of Christian Fellowship Church, who we are and what we're about, um, you can fill out a new here card that's in the back of your seat, or if you're online, um, you can fill out it digitally, or if you're here, you can fill out fill it out digitally, um, and that just kind of prompts us to be able to call you and send you a note of thanks, and if you uh, if you want to know more about the church and who we are and what, what we do, then that's kind of the, the next step. We do have a, uh, a class coming up for you guys uh, soon, and we'll let you know more about that as far as what the church is, what Christian Fellowship Church is, and what we're about, mission, vision, values, and that sort of thing, but we're actually in a series right now that's been talking about that, and so... You can go back and listen to those. This Determined series has got a lot of our vision and values and the things that we think about and believe and, and work towards as a body. So anyway, also, if you're a guest with us, you can, on your way out, uh, the lobby on the right-hand side as you're walking out, there's a new here table. We'd love to give you a gift for being our guest, and we appreciate you just coming. We'd love to shake your hand and say hello and meet you. One of us uh, pastors will be there down here in the front, or we'll be over there at the new here table if you'd like to meet us as well. We hope you stick around long enough that we could know your name at least. So thank you for being here. Um, we do have a few announcements that are in the announcement video, so I'm just going to go ahead and roll that.
What's up, CF Pairs? Welcome to church. I have just a couple of announcements for you. First of all, CF Women. We had an amazing event this past Monday. There was 132 women in attendance, and it was absolutely incredible. So the next event, ladies, you need to get on your calendar right now is our Women of Influence Spring Conference. It is February 23rd and 24th. It's a Friday evening and a Saturday. You can sign up online. The link is on our app. It's on our website. It's on our Facebook page. So ladies, go get signed up for that. If you have any questions, you could stop by the women's table in the lobby on your way out. Miss Tracy will answer any questions you have. And next announcement, can't believe we're already talking about it, but VBX. We love VBX every year. It's one of our biggest outreaches we do all year and we need you. So we are starting signups for volunteers. So you can sign up again on the app, on our website, but please get signed up for that. We love being able to have all these kids in our building and just love on them and have so much fun during VBX. So here guys is a quick preview of what VBX is going to be this year. How does it feel when you get really good news? It makes you want to dance. It makes you want to tell your friends. It makes you want to celebrate. Well, here's some good news. Jesus came to show his love for us. He didn't come to show love for just some of us. Jesus came to make sure everyone knows they are loved. Join us for fun games, amazing worship, and incredible truths from the Bible. The best part is, everyone is invited. So who's ready? It's time to celebrate the good news. Let's start the party. After that, that would have been some great intro music for me. So, roll that again. Let's do that. Let's do that again. Oh, how is everybody doing? Good. Glad to hear that from some of you. Um, my name is Pastor Greg. I am one of the associate pastors here. If you didn't know that uh, already, if you're a guest today, thanks again for being here. And uh, I have a few things, a few announcements, things I want to talk about myself. Uh, if we were in Sesame Street, it would be brought to you by the letter C, as in church today, because as it happens, they all, they all come out that way. And the first C is Corey. Let's talk about Corey, um, since he's not here. <laughs> um, so Pastor Corey, just wanted to let you all know, uh, Pastor Corey has, has been ill and continues to be a bit ill. He is doing better um, and we want to continue to lift him up in prayer. Um, it really, it, it really, it really sucks not to be able to be here for a few weeks when you're the pastor. I mean, I, I hope it sucks for all of you if you can't be here. But when you have things on your heart that the Lord is giving you and you want to share and you were geared up, and especially when you have to come back and talk to the church that you said should all be here for the next eight weeks and you've been gone for four. Uh, like, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. But um, we just want to continue to lift him up in, in prayer. Thankful that he is doing better. Really excited that uh, when he will come back. But just continue to pray for him. If he could be here, he would. The fact that he was not at the men's chili supper last night should tell you that, you know, if he's not well enough for that, 
he wasn't well enough to be here this morning, but he is with us in spirit. Uh, he would be watching online, but Facebook isn't working. So, uh, so he is with us in spirit this morning. So, let's talk about the chili supper. Men, we also had a great event last night, did we not? All right. We had our first men's ministry event of the year. It was fantastic. It was delicious. It was wonderful. We crowned a chili champ. This is the chili cup, um, the bragging rights. We, uh, we crowned a champ. I personally felt like the biggest winner was me because I ate a lot of chili <laughs> last night. And it was really good. But just so you know, fellas, if you didn't participate, we are going to have, we have a CF chili champion for 2024, okay? This is our chili cup. This is gonna be the bragging rights. Now, there was prizes that went home with first, second, and third place winners, but this is our trophy that's gonna stay at the church, and the winner every year gets to sign it, all right? So it'll be an ongoing trophy. We're gonna pass along the bragging rights. And for those of you who didn't attend last night and don't know this, the CF Chili Champion for 2024 was Mr. Jordan Thielman. So. All right. He's in the back. I'm going to leave his cup up here. But uh, there you go. It was an awesome time. We talked about upcoming events. Our next big event is in April. Uh, we have community groups and studies going on between now and then that you can be a part of, guys. But be sure to watch the calendar. Uh, you don't want to miss it. It was a great, great start to what I know will be a great year. The next C that I would like to tell you guys a little bit about and just share is Common Table. Some of you know about Common Table and my work with that as we got started uh, bringing together pastors and churches from around our community to try to build a greater sense of unity among pastors and churches and ultimately believers. And so this past Monday night, we had our first gathering, Common Table Pastors Gathering of the Year. It was wonderfully hosted by the people at Lamar Avenue Church of Christ and their co-pastors there, Jared Baggett and Chris King, were excited to have us there. The ladies of the church made enough dessert for 100 people. Um, so I have eaten really good this week. You can't tell. Really, really good. Uh, there were 12 of us, which seemed like a great number for some reason. So there were 12 pastors, all from different churches, different denominations. Uh, we had Hispanic pastors. We had African-American pastors. Uh, it, it was fantastic. And um, we spent a great time together just for an hour enjoying desserts and coffee, getting to know one another better. We set up the pastors in three-by-three three groups because we won't gather again until after Easter is over and the pressure is off from that. And so we're going to have a couple months, and I'm encouraging the pastors to get together in their three-by-three three groups once a month and just spend some time over a meal or coffee getting to know one another better until we gather together again. The coolest part of the night for me was that I only asked them for an hour of their time. Uh, I'm very diligent about that and want to be respectful of the, of the pastor's time. And so we got done a little before 8. And then I got a, uh, a text at 9.15 from my friend Father Gavin Vavrick over at Our Lady of Victory Catholic Church just thanking me for the evening. And he told me that about seven of the pastors actually just stayed for another hour talking theology over desserts at the table and just building relationships, which is all I could have wanted for. So it was great, 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 great. Thank you for your support of that and uh, thank you the church for their support of that and Corey for his as well, it's been great. One more, one more C. Um, last C 
is uh, CAC, or Children's Advocacy Center. So some of you have asked, some of you may know, some of you may not, that I have started a new role as the executive director of the Children's Advocacy Center here in Paris, Texas. So, and, and just to clarify, my role here uh, is not changing. I am not, I'm not leaving, I refused to go. Um, I, was, I was adamant, um, no. Pastor Corey and I, Pastor Corey, for those of you, a lot of you may not know, has been on the board, is on the board there. Pastor Corey and I talked about this decision as something on my heart before I ever applied for it. He was aware of it from the get-go. He prayed with me through that the whole time uh, when I applied, and then they offered me the position. He and I talked about it before I accepted the position, and so he has been very supportive of me. Uh, in prayer and an advocate for me the entire time of the process. He was aware from the beginning. He was aware from the beginning that I said, I'm absolutely, utterly, positively not going to not be a pastor at CF while I do this. Um, I have met a lot of great pastors via common table, honestly, who have jobs doing all sorts of things during the week. And then they're senior pastors on Sunday. And I have such great respect for those guys and have just been looking for the right opportunity for me to plug in and serve in a different way in our community. So I'm very thankful to be part of a church and to be pastoring with men who allow me to do that um, because that's not always the case. And I'm very thankful for that, very thankful for Corey and Brandon and Will and the whole staff here for their support. So just wanna let you know that that's what I'm doing, okay? All right, should probably talk about the Bible. Um, sadly, we're not in Corinthians, so no more C's, all right? So we have been, as Pastor Brandon said, in a series for a few weeks now called Determine that we started at the beginning of the year. We've been talking about intentionality and practices to help us become more like Jesus, right? We've been talking about the idea of being apprentices to Jesus. When you think about the idea of being a disciple, I think for us that's a really good modern way to phrase it is this idea of being an apprentice, someone who comes alongside the master and learns how to do it by doing what he does. And that's what we want to do. That's what this series is about. Uh, if you haven't heard the previous messages, definitely I would encourage you to go back and listen to them all. But uh, that's okay. If you haven't heard them, you're still okay for today, right? It's okay. Um, this morning, I want to spend some time learning and applying some principles, or you could say practices, of prayer from Philippians chapter 4. So you can open your Bibles there if you like. Um, as we do that, I'd like to set the context for these principles by taking a quick look at the life of Paul the Apostle. Now, if we were to make a list of the most prominent sufferers of the Bible, Paul would definitely have to be among them. You know, when Paul was called to the ministry, God actually said, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Which, honestly, that story always makes me chuckle a little bit because I think about Ananias, you know, and Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus and he was struck blind and he went to the city and he was waiting to see what would happen. And then the Lord spoke to this little Ananias, you know, Jewish believer, and he says, hey, I want you to go over to this house and pray for Paul. And Ananias obviously was like, or pray for Saul. And he was like, this is the guy that's been trying to kill us all, God. I don't, I don't wanna be in a room with him. I don't wanna go. I don't wanna, I, why would I wanna do that? This guy's a terror. And God was like, no, 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 it's okay. 
I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer, and I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. And I always feel like Ananias was like, I'll go right now, you know, uh, just to send him, you know, because we're like, oh, that's a great deal. Um, but suffer, Paul did. Six times in his letter, Paul gives us catalogs of his afflictions and put together they cover an enormous range of physical and emotional and spiritual hardships including hunger and imprisonment and betrayals four times he was given the brutal punishment of flogging the 40 lashes minus one we read of in second corinthians 12 24. Oh, we did go to corinthians i forgot so Paul goes on after that to talk about what he experienced. And he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night adrift in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all this and everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. How did Paul handle all this? How could he determine to find peace in the midst of hardships like these, you know? Most of us have never known anything like one or two of these sufferings even, let alone all of them. I mean, for most of us, it's tough enough when football season is over, right? Or they run out of pumpkin spice at Starbucks. Those are real hardships, Paul. So there are people in our world today who do suffer like Paul did. And there are times in our own lives when real suffering invades and dominates, maybe for a week or a month, maybe years. When it inevitably does, how will you handle it? I would suggest that unless you have determined to become more like Jesus, unless you have wedded together practicing his way with learning and obeying his truth that only together lead to his abundant life, then real suffering can leave you drowning in the crashing waves of your emotions and your circumstances with no real hope of finding anywhere safe to ride out the storm. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, Paul observes about God that he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. That means if we wanna discover how Paul himself faced all his adversity, we need only look at how he comforted others in trials and afflictions in his letters. And one of the places where Paul conveys the comfort to others that he received from God is Philippians chapter four. So if you're able, please stand with me as we all read and come under the authority of God's word together today. Beginning in verse four, Paul writes this, we'll have it on the screen. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. Show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Amen. This is God's word for his people. And you may be seated. Note that Paul does not say, I can smile in the face of torture and death because I'm just that kind of guy. I'm tough, right? That kind of peace would be like a talent. Either you're born with it or you're not. But Paul says in verses 11 and 12, I have learned the secret of being content in every situation or whatever circumstance. It wasn't natural to him. And this piece isn't natural to any of the rest of us either. But he is saying, I have learned it so that by applying it or practicing it, I can have equilibrium in any situation. And if Paul can learn it, so can all of us, right? Paul also tells us this piece is not merely an absence, it's a presence. It's not just an absence of fear, it is a sense of being protected. Verse four says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. The Greek word translated as guard is unknown to me because I don't speak Greek, but, um, but I will tell you what it means. It means to completely surround and fortify a building or city to protect it from invasion. If you have an army all around you protecting you, then you can sleep really well. That's the idea. And this gets at something really important. Because today, when you read books or websites on overcoming anxiety and handling fear, they usually talk about removing negative thoughts. Control your thoughts, get rid of the negative ones. But here we see that the peace of God is not the absence of negative thoughts. It is the presence of God himself, right? Paul writes in verse nine, the God of peace will be with you. If you've ever been on a coast in a storm and you've seen the waves and they come in and hit the rocks and sometimes the waves are so large that they just cover a particular rock. And you might look at it and think, that's the end of that rock. But the waves recede and there it is still, right? Hasn't budged an inch. And the person who feels the peace that passes understanding is like that, right? No matter what is thrown at you, you know it will not make you lose your footing. That is the character of Christian peace. It's an inner calm and an equilibrium, but it's also a sense of God's presence. 
and an almost reason-transcending sense of his protection. But if it is not natural, if it's something that you learn, then how does one learn or find this? And what are the practices by which you and I can develop this peace? Paul gives a lot of advice on this passage on how you can learn it. It's not four steps to guaranteed inner peace. It's not something to be manipulated by technique, but Paul speaks of three sorts of disciplines in which to engage, and those who do these things more often find God's peace along the way. We'll call these practices. We're gonna call them a kind of thinking, a kind of thanking, and a kind of loving, right? And as we consider each one today, we're also going to practice them together by closing out each section with a short time of prayer. Guys, if you were here last night, you were well prepared for this, all right? That's a men thing, ladies, don't worry. But you're gonna have a minute to talk with God on your own, and it is okay just to listen to God, too. That's okay, and you should. And then we'll have someone else close us out together as a congregation before we move on to the next practice, okay? Don't be frightened. I'm not going to ask for volunteers. It's all good. So let's take a look at the first principle, the practice of thinking. In verses 8 and 9, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, think about such things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, when we hear terms like noble and right, we might think that Paul is merely recommending high and inspirational thoughts in general. But scholars of Paul tell us that he's not referring to general loftiness of mind, but rather to the specific teaching of the Bible about God, about sin and human nature, about Christ, about salvation and God's plans for the world. It's the good news. It's the gospel, okay? Paul is saying if you want peace, think hard and long about the core doctrines of the Bible. He's saying Christian peace comes not from just relaxing and thinking less, but from thinking more and thinking more intensely about the big issues of life. Someone might say, now you're talking about doctrine, but what I really need is peace and comfort, okay? But think, is Jesus really the son of God? Did he really come to earth and die for you and rise again and pass through the heavens to the right hand of God? Did Jesus endure infinite suffering for you so that someday he could take you to himself and wipe away every tear from your eyes and that he secured your eternity with God. If so, then there really is all the comfort in the world because the gospel really changes everything. If not, if none of these things are true, then we may be stuck here living for 70 or 80 years until we perish. And the only happiness we will ever know is this life. And if some trouble or suffering takes that happiness away, you've lost it 
forever. The reality is, church, either Jesus is on the throne ruling all things for you, or this is as good as it gets, right? You see what Paul is doing. He's saying that if you're a Christian today and you have little or no peace, it may be because you are not thinking. Peace comes from a disciplined thinking out of the implications of what you believe. Comes from the intentional occupation of a vantage point. There's nothing more thrilling than climbing up to some high point on a mountain and then turning around and viewing from there all the terrain that you just traversed and all the landscape you can see. Your high vantage point gives you perspective and it gives you clarity and it gives you a sense of beauty. And that is what Paul is calling us to do. Think big and high. Realize who God is, what he has done, who you are in Christ and where history is going. Put your troubles in perspective by remembering Christ's troubles on your behalf and all his promises to you and what he is accomplishing. Or to put it another way, believe and live more and more deeply in more and more areas of your life that the gospel changes everything. All right? So we're going to begin our first prayer time together today, and I invite you with Paul to think about such things, to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind what you believe about the truth, the scripture, and God, about Christ, and about us, and about the world, and to ask him to help us believe more deeply as we seek God's presence and his peace. We're going to have a short time of silent prayer, and then we'll close together, okay? Let's pray. Lord, in every day, bring to our thoughts a constant awareness of your presence. Your word tells us whatever is true, honest, just, pure, virtuous, and worthy of praise to think on these things. Father, you are these things, and these things are of you. Our minds want to separate this, but there is no doing that. Give us the wisdom to know this. Stay sovereign over our thoughts and our will. Let us accept whatever degree of success or difficulty you give us each day. And especially, Father, make us willing to be interrupted in order to do the good that you have called us to do. Allow us to rest assured that you can do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or think, and that you, full of love for us, will continue to pour out your grace to us and over us and strengthen our lives and our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ah. Principle two this morning is the practice of thanking. 
In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't be anxious, but make your requests to God with thanksgiving. So thanksgiving is set up against anxiety. But if you look carefully, it's a little counterintuitive, right? We would expect Paul to say that first you make your requests to God, and then if you get your requests, you thank him for his answers, right? But that's not what Paul says. Paul says you thank God as you ask, before you know the response to your requests. So why should we thank God ahead of time, as it were? It doesn't at first make sense, but if you think about it, you can see what Paul is getting at. Paul is essentially calling on us to trust God's sovereign rule of history and of our lives. He's telling us that we will never be content unless as we make our heartfelt request to God, we also acknowledge that our lives are in his hands and that he is wiser than we are. That's what you're doing when you thank him for whatever he is going to do with your request. That's the essence of those two crucial verses, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. Genesis 50, 20, when Joseph speaks to his brothers and says, you meant it all for evil, but God meant it for good. And then Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Romans 8 does not say that every bad thing has a silver lining or that every terrible thing that can happen is somehow actually a good thing if you look at it properly. No, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, that all things, even bad things, will ultimately together be overruled by God in such a way that the intended evil will in the end only accomplish the opposite of its designs a greater good and glory than would have otherwise come to pass. Only God has that eternal perspective and vantage point from which he can see all things working together for our good and for his glory. But eventually we will occupy that place and see it too as he does. Most of us would say, we understand that the Bible says because God is sovereign, we are to trust him. But Paul goes one step further. Because God is sovereign, we are to thank him. We are to live thankfully because we think about and know he is like this. We are to thank him beforehand, even as we make our requests. We're to thank him for whatever he sends to us, even if we don't understand it. One of my favorite quotes on prayer is, when a child of God makes a request, God always gives them what they would have asked for if they knew everything he knew. Do you believe that? To the degree that you believe that, you're going to have greater peace. And if you don't believe it, you won't have the peace that you otherwise could have. Make your requests known with thanksgiving. 
as we enter into our second time of corporate prayer now, let's make our requests known to God for ourselves, our loved ones, our community, our country, and our world. And let's do so with thanks to him for his sovereign, loving, and wise answers to all our prayers. Let's pray silently together and then we'll close. Lord, thank you for each moment, for the blue sky moment, the softening earth, the freshening wind, for the sap flowing, the bird nesting, the yellow bush, for my full heart and the joy rising in me, soften me to receive whatever comes as a gift and to praise you in it. Lord, thank you for each moment, for the twilight moment, the pause, the good tired for the quiet reflection, the slowing down, the mysterious sunset, for the contented heart and the wisdom growing inside me, gentled me to feel whatever come as a gift and to praise you in it. Lord, thank you for each moment, for the midnight moment, the loneliness, the fretful wandering, for the watchful star, the long ache, the sleepless wait, for the, my, hesla, my restless heart and the hope is straining in me, focus me to see whatever come as a gift and to praise you in it. Lord, thank you for each moment, for the high known moment, the job, the necessary routine, for the sweaty struggle, the high risk challenge, the impulse to change, for my fierce heart and the courage gathering in me, ground me to wrestle with whatever come as a gift and to praise you in it. Lord, thank you for each moment, for the shared, mo shared moment, the listening, the unguarded word, for the fragile openness, the ready smile, the accepted difference for my passionate heart and the trust rooted in me, stretched me to grow with whatever come as a gift and to praise you in it. Lord, Thank you for each moment, for the charged moment, the confrontation, the accurate demand, for the hard decision, the breathless gamble, the unexpected growing, for the, my intense heart and the truth expanding in me. Excite me to be open to whatever comes as a gift and to praise you in it. And dear Lord, thank you for each moment, for the holy moment, the music, the child's eyes, for the sunlight, the touch, the tears, for the trembling pressure, for the unutterable beauty and the breathing, for the life and love and heart in me aware and the wholeness is spreading in me. Touch me through whatever come as a gift that I may be graceful and praise you in it all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claudia. There's thinking, there's thanking, and third, there is loving. Philippians 4.8, Paul
Paul tells us to think first of whatever is true, noble, right, and pure. And these things are more traditional theological virtues that have to do with the mind and the will. But then Paul moves on and he asks them to ponder whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. By definition, anything that is lovely is something that is not merely true, but also attractive. And Paul is urging his readers not just to order the thoughts of their mind, but to engage the affections of the heart. To keep your equilibrium and find peace in troubles and difficulties, it is not enough just to think the right things. It's also important to love the right things. The ancient church father Augustine said that only love of the immutable can bring tranquility. The immutable is that which cannot change. Your career will change, as will your family, your fortunes, and even your own personal virtue. And the reason that we don't have peace is often that we are loving mutable things things that circumstances can take away from us. But there is one thing that is immutable, and it's God, his presence and his love. The only love that won't disappoint you is one that won't change, that can't be lost, and that is not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you and I live. It's something that not even death can take away from you. God's love is the only thing like that. Not only can your poor performance not block it, but even the worst possible circumstances in this life, a sudden death can only give you more of it. What is so certain and solid that even death can't make the slightest dent in it, but only enhance it. The love and the presence of God, the beauty of God, the face of God. Now, wait a minute, Pastor G. You are saying I have to love God, but I love a lot of things. I love people. I love material comforts. I love tacos. I love sports. Are you saying that I have to love God and not these things? And yes, the word snob in me is cringing right now because of that word. No, I'm saying that we must reorder our loves. The problem is not so much that we love our careers or our family too much, but that we love God too little in proportion to them. C.S. Lewis captured this idea when he wrote, it's probably impossible to love any human being simply too much. We may love him too much in proportion to our love for God, but it's the smallness of our love for God, not the greatness of our love for the many that constitutes the inordinacy. The way to find the calm, the tranquility, the peace is to love God supremely. And here then is what we must do when we suffer. We should look around our lives to see if our suffering has not been unnecessarily intensified 
because there are some things that we have set our hearts and our hopes upon too much. We must relocate our glory and reorder our loves. Suffering almost always shows you that some things you thought you couldn't live without, you can live without if you lean on God. And that brings freedom. That doesn't mean that if we loved God perfectly, we wouldn't suffer. No, because those who do love God well do and should love all sorts of other good things in this life too. Jesus loved God perfectly, but he was a man of sorrows, largely because he loved us so much. We don't need to detach our hearts from things as some would suggest. We must love many things in this life, and when these good things are taken away, it will hurt. But if we cultivate within ourselves a deep rest in God, and our heart truly grasps his love for us, then we will find that suffering can sting and cause pain, but it can't uproot us or overthrow us because suffering can't touch our main thing, God and his love and his salvation. And how can we feel more love for God? Don't try to work directly on your emotions, okay? That won't work. Instead, let your emotions flow naturally from what you are looking at. Notice what Paul says in verse seven, the peace of God keeps your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And there it is. You can't just go home and try to love God in the abstract. You have to look at Jesus at who he is and what he's done for you. And that is how to find God irresistibly beautiful. Second Corinthians 5.21 says of Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That can't mean that God made Jesus actually sinful. It means that on the cross, Jesus was treated as a sinner. He got what we deserve, the verse says, so that we can get what he deserves. Jesus lost all his peace so that you and I could have eternal peace. And looking at what he did and how he did it for you, that will get you through. And that is what will make God lovely to you. In our final prayer time this morning, let's ask the Holy Spirit to center our hearts on Jesus, to reorder our loves with God first and foremost, and to ask forgiveness for anything that we put ahead of him as individuals and as a church. Let's pray now.
in relief. But the words that come to my mind are, I'm sorry. When I've just gone through the motions, I'm sorry when I've come with my own agenda. I'm sorry when I have forgotten that you are enough and I've forgotten about the sacrifice that Jesus made for me. I'm sorry. You are God and I am not. You are that rock that's immovable. You are my rock that I cling to. Lord, help me take inventory of all those things that I love. And help me become closer to you and prioritize you at the top of that list Mm -hmm. by spending time with you on purpose, reflecting on your goodness and your love. That love, that love that will never change, that love that will never go away. The one love. With gratitude. Help me, God. Show me. I thank you for the peace that's already coming from setting our minds and our hearts on you, trusting you, prioritizing you. Because you will never fail. When everything else fades away. It's you that will remain. Hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And thank you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace this week. God bless you guys.